from that last, that's a very hot mic, um, heard something in that last song that I want to address, um, the Lord liveth clap, you heard that? Um, it's not that I heard clapping, I heard some tentativeness in said clapping, um, and I want you to know that we come together to worship God, which means um, we have not come together to worship my own understandings of exactly how worship should look. So, you know, some people will say, well, clapping makes me uncomfortable. Okay, that's fine. Just recognize that's a you problem. That's fine. Um, Let's not twist the Bible to make it say something that it doesn't say. Um, We are way too conservative to do that. So... um, If you want to clap, clap. And we can edit this. Well, not now. (laughs) Thank you. I know it was a profound statement. Um, We'll edit this next part out of the video, Judy. If you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. Um, Y'all are so funny. (laughs) Spring break has got y'all in a good mood, huh? Um, we're, we are not go, going to go about the business of judging other people's worship. Um, we just want to worship God. And how you worship God with us may be very diverse, may be very different. There may be someone who claps next to you and you don't feel like that's something you like to do. Then don't. We're not making you do anything. Um, we have a tradition of singing a cappella. Um, one of the reasons we like that is it's cheaper. <laughs> Pianos are very expensive. But one of the, actually, the reason I like that a lot is that we all sing together. When someone starts the song, we all sing. It's a community singing. Um, and that community is going to be diverse and it's going to be different and it's going to look different at times. And I think we should celebrate that difference instead of try to make everyone conform to some uniform um, idea. So if you want to clap, clap. Don't feel... You, uh. If you want to be quiet, be quiet. <laughs> but... Uh, I am, um, I, I'm very glad you're here with us today, you're worshiping with us, we have a lot of people gone on spring break, and um, it is our prayer that they are safe, and if you are leaving for a trip on spring break, then I would, um, we would hope that you have a blast and that you glorify God in your week. Um, I have a, a, I don't have a whole lot of favorite sermons, um, if you ask me my favorite sermon, it's probably going to be the one that's next. I'm, re- I'm usually really excited about that one. Um, but every once in a while, you get to preach a message that is so at the heart of why we come together to worship, why we, um, people from all walks of life, from all income brackets, um, come together and worship, and we're so different. The reason we come together to worship sometimes gets missed 
just dealing with this biblical text or that biblical text. But today I want to talk about why we come together. First, I want to talk about my bracket. Um, now, I'll tell you this much. Thursday evening, there was, a, there was an element of excitement in my house. Because I had gotten a message on my phone saying that only 3.6% of the 11 million brackets that had been submitted were still perfect. And I was one of those you know, 3.6 feels like a fan. You're, Whoa, I must be special. I'm one in 367,000. Okay, well still, me and a bunch of other people had a perfect bracket. And I kept pointing, yeah, well, well, whatever, you know. And then Duke <laughs> lost to Mercer, a made-up school. They don't, that's not even a real school. They just got a team together and said, we have a school, and they, they don't. It's not even a real place. They lost to a sketch of a basketball group. Um, but it kind of, there was this moment where I got to feel some relief. I thought, oh God, I don't have to worry about this anymore because at least I'm not perfect. You know, it was the perfect perfection that would... I don't know if you all know, but um, Quicken Loans was offering a perfect bracket. If you got a perfect bracket, you won $1 billion, billion. Now, the odds were pretty high. They said that you, um, the chances of filling out a perfect um, college basketball bracket, you had a better shot of going into outer space, throwing a bean bag from outer space, and hitting your roof. Which... I would think is hard. <laughs> but there, there is a, there wasn't a great chance, but there was a moment Thursday where I thought, there might be a chance. I'm just, I'm doing great. Pick Dayton. Turns out everybody picked Dayton. Pick Harvard. Everybody picked Harvard. You didn't pick Harvard? You blew it. <laughs> you weren't a part of the 3.6%. Oh, man. I think less of you. <laughs> but there, there's this moment where it's over. No longer do I, get to, um, do I get to be a part of this hope. Do I get to be a part? Which if, if we won, we'd give y'all some. You know, we'll see. But there was a, there was a little hope. Until, until it was over. Until it was done. Now, there's a line Jesus says at the vet, right before he dies that sometimes we interpret maybe just a little bit differently than we should. And I, I want to look at this, and I want to get a run and start at it. Go to John chapter 19. We'll start in verse, the latter part of 16. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. As he was carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified Jesus and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and in Greek. 
The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. They were going to gamble um, for it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary the Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, most people think this is John, uh, standing nearby, he said to her, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, he said, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. See, for, for them, the, there's a difference between it being over and it being finished. There are a lot of jobs um, that are over, but they're never finished. How many of you had, has, have already start, had to mow your yard? Um, I'm going to have to do that today. The girls are sad that I'm going to take down all the purple flowers. They think I'm just a great decorator of the yard. It's just weeds. But I'm going to mow my yard, and in two weeks or so, it'll need to be mowed again. And then in the summer, like every five days, it seems, it needs to be mowed. And you'll be done with the job. Rachel, Rachel's, um, has said this about laundry. She gets mad at us because we all wear clothes. <laughs> she, says, why don't you, why, she says, why do you people wear clothes? It'd be a whole lot easier, but laundry just never seems to end. The children need to eat. Once or twice a day, at least. You have to feed them, and the job is over, but, but it's not finished. So you feed them once, they're done, it's over, but it's not finished. There was a, uh, for a long time, people thought that Jesus here was letting out a sigh of reconciliation to his uh, ministry. It's It's done. You people. But the word he used is not a word that assumes something didn't um, make it to the finish line. It's a word that means finished. It means completed. It means perfected. It means accomplished. I remember when... um, I uh, I graduated from Harding, got my bachelor's 
and preaching. It only took me six years. It really, it took me about five. Um, and it could have taken me about four. And when I finally walked across the stage and shook Dr. Burke's hand, I'm sure it was the most awkward handshake of his life because they give you the thing, they want you to take it with one hand and shake with the other, and I'm just never good at stuff like that. And they escorted me out. And someone said, are you going to do master's work? And I said, not now. Because that's not, school didn't fit me well at that time in my life. I probably should have done master's work, but I didn't. But to, to have it finally be finished, to have the degree in hand, to have, I have done this, the only thing left to do is buy a frame. They don't even give you a frame with it. I've got to buy a frame, and I've got to put it in the frame, and then I've got to set it in a box in my office. To have it be done is such an inter- a neat feeling. You're, you're done. To have accomplished something. Those of you who restore old cars know what it feels like to finally turn the key, some of you, know what it feels like to turn the key and then drive it around town. To have accomplished something. Jesus here is not saying it's over. He's saying it's accomplished. It is finished. I have persevered and accomplished what I wanted. Paul uses the exact same word when he's talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and he says, um, he says I have finished, I fought the good fight, I have finished the race. It's not that it's over or that it's over prematurely, it's that I'm done with the thing that I've been trying to do, and the question now, I wonder, maybe we're all having is, what is it? that Jesus was trying to do that he accomplished on the cross. I think that he was hoping to find relationship, find a relationship that he had lost. When I married Rachel, um, there was a, a moment of, oh, thank goodness, she, she came down the aisle, she said she still said, was willing to say, I do, it was just a, it was a fantastic time. We lit a unity candle, man, there's nothing more binding than a candle. But it was such a big ceremony and such a... An um, odd time. I, I just, I, we 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 said at the beginning. I want this. I want this to be a something that we love and not something that makes us hate each other. Because planning a wedding ceremony can ruin a marriage. Um, and I I, just, I remember the doors opening in the back and doves. I don't even know where we got doves. They flew back. No doves were involved in the filming. But she walked forward and 
we said our vows. And I remember there's a sense of, oh, man, thank goodness the wedding is over. But that the marriage, that the union is completed. See, when, when we're hoping for relationships, um, those relationships need to grow. But the, the place where they begin, when that's finally accomplished, there's a sense of, yes, we can do this. We have committed in front of our friends and family. We are on the right track. It is accomplished. It's not over, but it is accomplished. And what Jesus accomplished on the cross is a reuniting of His people, of God's people, with their God through this sacrifice. The perfect Lamb. John makes careful... um, Make, make sure that he lets us know that it's, over, it's on the Passover that this is happening. That the day that the Egyptians left Egypt, the day they celebrate their freedom from slavery, when the Egyptians left uh, Egypt, uh, the Israelites left Egypt. I do that all the time. I'm just going to stay away from that story. Better than the preacher my dad once here heard preach a sermon on Samson and called him Tarzan the whole time. <laughs> I get those two mixed up. I'll always say Egyptians when I'm talking about the Exodus and I mean the Israelites. It's just going to happen. Y'all get used to it. But the Israelites were leaving and they got to the Red Sea and there was this moment of, oh, well, okay. Thanks, Moses, for getting us outside of the city gate. But now there's the sea and there's the Egyptian army. And I guess we're just going to have to turn and fight them. And then God parts the Red Sea and they walk across and the Egyptians chase them in. And God closes the Red Sea and beats the army for them. And at that point, they are free. It's at that moment that they are free and they celebrate that freedom Every, they had celebrated it every year since then on the Passover. It is on the cross that Jesus released you from your slavery to sin. He didn't just forgive. He forgave. That's part of what the cross does. Is it completely wipes us clean of what God would hold against us. We have been set free from our sin, but we aren't just set free from our sin in the past. We're set free from our sin. Jesus redeemed us for all time. And and by all time, I mean today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, You can have confidence in the cross of Jesus Christ. You can have confidence in the fact that when he said he did it, he wasn't joking. He wasn't messing around saying, oh, well, I sort of did it this now, but you better, man, when you sin, you better ask for forgiveness really quick. Because if you die between that moment and this moment, then you uh, got to get it right. Jesus 
says it is finished. And when he says it is finished, he means it's been accomplished and it's been accomplished for all time. You are not able to run away from the God who is chasing you. He chases those who don't want to be caught and he loves those who don't want to be loved. Calls us to come to the cross and find our forgiveness, find our redemption there. See, one of the problems that we have as Christians is that we often believe that we just aren't good enough and then we stop with that thought process. We just, well, I'm just not good enough. I don't know, I'm just not good enough to be the right sort of Christian. Okay, yeah, you're right. I, I, you're right. Don't get me wrong. You're right. You aren't good enough. But when Jesus says it is finished, when he says, I've accomplished what God has sent me to accomplish, he means it. So don't think for a second that you can somehow um, beat yourself up enough to make what Jesus did invalid. Jesus died on the cross for all who will seek the cross. All who will seek his sacrifice. Now, as we will find, Jesus got off the cross. But he he did something very fantastic on it. Okay, just keep up with me here for a second. Shouldn't I start every sermon like that? All right. When you got crucified, uh, it was the most humiliating thing possible. In the first century, when uh, you, if you were crucified, that meant that you tried to beat the Roman government and you lost. Um, the, the, the Romans, the way they would conquer places and take on territories, and they wanted territories because the people there then had to pay taxes, and then the, um, the Roman government... Prospered, But the way they would overtake territories is not often through battle. They would go in and they would say, you guys need to pay taxes to Caesar. Y'all need to say Caesar is Lord and pay taxes to Caesar. And everyone said, no! And then so they just crucified the, the, the leader, made everybody watch, and then everyone said, yes! They, the, the cross was the intimidation factor. Watch somebody die on a cross and then... You, you, you don't want to be that person, so you're going to um, do whatever the crucifiers ask you to do. So they would march in and they would put crosses on their shields so just to remind everybody, hey, we do this thing, you don't want to mess with us, so that you don't want us doing this thing to you. And so the Ro- Roman government was signified by a cross. Because the cross was an instrument of torture, an instrument of death, an instrument of power. What is it today? What is it a symbol of today? It's not a symbol of death. It's not a symbol of destruction. or It's not a symbol of power either. What do we look at when we look at the cross? Or what do we see when we look at the cross? We see Jesus. Eventually the cross became a symbol of hope. 
eventually the cross was redeemed just because Jesus was connected with it. Once Jesus got on the cross, he wasn't, that it didn't give power to the crucifiers, it gave power to the crucified. See, the cross's story is our story. We are broken, we are dying, we are sinful. We symbolize power and, and greed and nations wanting to conquer other nations. And God took his son and placed it on us. And now we can be symbols of hope. Now we can... Now it can be something beautiful. You may say, Benjamin, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I do. No matter what you've done, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, if I didn't think the cross can cover everything, I wouldn't be here this morning. But it is my belief that when Jesus says it is finished, it is accomplished, it has been done, it has been perfected, what he means is that your life, your or his mission to redeem your life, his mission to um, reconcile you to God, was genuinely accomplished. He has done it. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The cross has the power to redeem you. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross has power to redeem you. If Jesus' can, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross can redeem the cross, it can redeem you. He's done it. You just have to say, yes, I know, I know he's done it. I want to join him. I want to be united with him. I, I, don't want, I don't think anyone else can do what I'm hoping Jesus can do. And see, that's our problem sometimes. We get caught up in this idea that, that if I just won a billion dollars, my problems will be solved. I think a great philosopher once said, mo money, mo problems. Is that the second week in a row I've quoted a rapper? Yeah? Keep, keeping the streak alive. There, there is, your problems wouldn't be solved with a billion dollars. Your problems wouldn't be solved with a hundred thousand. I hear people say, where are you? What's funny to me is whenever someone's like, well, they won like $300 million in the lottery, and someone still says, oh, taxes, will get half of it. Okay, yeah, I know. We should probably take them a sandwich or something. Their $150 million is barely going to get them by. Oh, taxes. We think money will solve our problems. We'll think 
indulging in whatever it is you indulge in will solve your problem. Has a chocolate chip cookie ever made you feel better? Yes. That's the answer. Has it ever made you feel better forever? No. There are some things in life that will make you feel better right now. Jesus is the only thing that will accomplish in you what you are hoping to accomplish and he'll do it from now until the end of time and beyond. He's done it. Now here's the good news. That means you don't have to do it. We're not looking to you to make sure that you um, believe the right way or that you have... The, you have this perfect life or that you have accomplished some morality or at least a, um, an appearance of morality that is suitable for a Christian. Yes, we want you to love other people. Yes, I think you need to forgive other people like God has forgiven you. Yes, you need to be self-controlled. But just simply being self-controlled and just simply being a nice person isn't going to save you. We needed, we needed someone to bridge the gap. And Jesus has done just that. He's accomplished what he set out to accomplish. He did. He did what he hoped. Or what God hoped he would do. And he did it for you. Your life needs to be united with this Jesus. Your spirit, your, 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 your life needs to be united and reconcile that relationship. And if you've never been united with Jesus and if you've never gotten to the place where you know what it feels like to ha- for Him to have done it within you, for him to, for Jesus to accomplish something in you. If you've never felt that, it's a decision worth making today. It's an experience worth having today. Let Jesus accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Perfect what he wants to perfect. Finish what he wants to finish. Let him do it in you. And don't let a day go by without making that decision. This may be the closest you'll ever be to making that decision. Of becoming a disciple and letting Jesus accomplish in you what he needs to accomplish. So don't chicken out on us now. Let him do it. Because with Jesus, when it's done, it's done. When it's finished, it's finished. When it's accomplished, it's accomplished. You're going to have a hard time getting away from the grace of God. If you need Him to finish something in you today, please come forward while we stand and sing. You're so sweet.